Ephesians chapter two. Uh, we are in week number three of this four-part series called Say Yes. We've been really camping out in Paul's letter to the churches, uh, church in Ephesus. Um, we have looked at a couple different things, and today we're going to draw our attention to Ephesians chapter two. If you have your Bibles, it'll also be up on the screen. Ephesians two, verse 10 Uh, We know this verse well, for we are God's masterpiece. Some translations say we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, or he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Now jump ahead to verse 14. It says, for Christ himself has brought peace to us, He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when, in his own body, on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations, and he made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. Verse 17, he brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us, we talked about this last week, now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us, the better access that we have to the Father because of what Christ accomplished at Calvary. Verse 19, so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners, you are citizens along with all of God's holy people, and you are members of God's family. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the, and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord, and through him you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by the Spirit. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for another opportunity that you have granted to us today to Uh, not just read, but to meditate on and to reflect on the truth of your word. We know that your word is alive, it is powerful, Lord. It still speaks to us today. And so God, my prayer is that in these next few moments together that you would captivate every heart, every mind, every person, myself included in this room today. And God, I pray that there would be nothing that would distract us or keep us from hearing from you this morning. Teach us, instruct us, challenge us, convict us, and draw us closer to you, I pray. Holy Spirit, help me to speak not a single word of my own, but only that which comes from you. And help me to declare your faithful living word with boldness, with passion, with clarity, with simplicity. And God, help me to decrease and you, God, to increase and be the focus of our time together, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, the premise, the premise of this series called Say Yes um, really focuses in on, on this thought or this truth. We say yes in life to so many things, but the question that we as believers have to ask ourselves is am I saying yes to the best thing? or the best person? Have I said yes to so many things in life that I've left no room for my yes to Jesus? That is a question 
that you and I have to wrestle with because it is very easy to fill our schedule and our life with things that are good, things that we enjoy doing, things that, that bring excitement and celebration to our life. But if we fill our schedule and our life with all of these things, if we say yes to all of these good things, and then in the end try to somehow squeeze into all of our other yeses, our yes to Christ, what often happens is we leave little to no room for him. He gets shoved off the, the schedule or we, we uh, uh, delay him and our relationship with him to the next day or we, we try to make other adjustments. But the reality is we will never find room in our schedule for our yes to Jesus if we make that yes our last yes. That's why uh, Jesus will say in Matthew 6, that we are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these other things will be added unto you. Jesus must always be our first yes. If we say yes to Jesus and we, we carve out our entire schedule to spend time in his presence and then try to fit everything else around time with him, I can promise you things will start to fit a lot better than they would if we try to say yes to him after everything else. So, so far we've, over the last three weeks, we talked about, first of all, how my yes to Jesus brings me a change of status. When we say yes to Christ, we move from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive. When we say yes to Christ, we go from being condemned sinners to sinners who are saved by grace. When we say yes to Jesus, we go from being slaves to sin to slaves to righteousness. So our yes to Christ, it brings us a supernatural, divine change of status. We talked about last week how my yes to Jesus, it gives you and me better access to our Father in heaven. One of the great truths and one of the things we talked about last week was that the, the mere fact that we have access to the Father, that we have better access to him, it reminds us that there is no one, no person who is outside the reach of our heavenly Father, that he is, is available to us at any moment, any part of our day. I know there's many of you in this room that may have people in your life that are prodigal sons and daughters or grandsons or granddaughters or coworkers, people that are close to you, maybe some names that you've placed in these bowls that we are praying for and believing for God to restore and to reconcile. And let me just encourage you this morning, number one, do not stop praying for them. And number two, know that our, our heavenly father is still pursuing them. There is no one outside of the reach of God. Now, it doesn't always make sense and the process of getting to, to that person may not always make sense in our human minds, but just know that there is no one too far gone. We have better access. And one of the great things that I love is that we have access to our Heavenly Father. We can come into his presence at any moment of any part of our day. You don't have to wait until Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. to finally have access to the Father. You don't have to wait for your preacher to stand up here and start preaching or for the worship team to play the right song or, or, or to play into the right rhythm before we have access to the Father. We can come into his presence with boldness, with confidence, with assurance at any moment, any part of our day. In the Old Testament, they had to wait for the, uh, the, the high priest to go into the, the most holy place and they would tie a rope uh, to his ankles because if, if something happened on the other side of the curtain, 
no one else was allowed to go in there. Otherwise, they would be struck down. So they would tie a rope to him. And if something happened, they would be able to pull him out. But folks, we don't have to wait until a certain time of day or we don't have to come to a certain place to have access to our Heavenly Father. We have immediate uh, access into his presence and we should be thankful for that. And we ended last week talking about we need to take advantage of the access that God has given to us. We need to come boldly into his throne room. We need to take advantage of the fact that he is available and he is ready to meet with us. Today, though, we're gonna talk about how my yes to Jesus gives me a renewed purpose in life. This is a question, what is my purpose why am I here? Why do I exist? That is a question that all of humanity wrestles with. Um, and, and certainly there are some who try to find answers to that question in worldly things and they will always disappoint us. But that question of what is my purpose? Why do I exist? It is very clear to us as Christians, as followers of Christ in scripture. Our ultimate purpose and this is, this is the simple answer, but I think it's the pure answer. Our ultimate purpose as believers is to glorify God. And what does that simply mean? It means to make Christ known in and through our life. If you are wrestling with the question of what is my purpose, what am I to do? Your purpose is to glorify God in and every season that you are in. You are to make Christ known. And that may be as uh, teenagers, you're to make Christ known at school. And, and, and adults, you're to make Christ known in, the, in your family and, and at work and in our community and in service. Wherever we're at, we, we exist to glorify him, to make Christ known to the world. And that is our purpose as a whole. Now, here's what I want to do this morning. When we understand, I believe when we understand our salvation more completely. I believe that we will walk more obediently in God's purpose for our life. We know that our purpose is to glorify him. We know that our purpose is to make Christ known, but sometimes we don't walk obediently or faithfully in the purpose that God has called us to. But I believe that after today, when we understand more completely what it means to be saved, what it means to be believers and followers of Christ, I believe we will walk more obediently and faithfully in God's design purpose for our lives. So today I wanna to talk, first of all, just talk about how our salvation is totally the work of God. And I want you to bear with me because the first half of this message, I might be driving this point home and you're like, Kyle, I get it, I understand. But, but just bear with me, all right? I wanna make sure that we do get it. I wanna make sure that we do understand because this is foundational to our walk with Christ. If we miss it here, if we somehow think that our salvation is contingent upon me, my good works, my behavior, my attitude, or even somebody else besides God, we are in a lot of trouble. And so I'm gonna drive this point home, so bear with me, um, and, and, and don't tune me out because there's some good things that I want you to hear this morning. So number one, our salvation is totally the work of God. Ephesians chapter two, verse 10 says this, for we are God's workmanship. We are God's workmanship. We are his masterpiece is what another translation says. Now, have you ever, I'm gonna ask this question, have any of you in this room 
ever created something that you deemed was a masterpiece, something that, that you worked on, that you, you poured your sweat into and your blood into and something that you created and you stepped away from it and you look at it and you said, that is good. That is beautiful. For me, uh, there's not too many of those things for me um, when it comes to working with my hands, but I've probably shared this with you before, and it's only because I'm proud of it, but it is my kitchen table. Um, I, I put a lot of work into my kitchen table. Um, it may not be perfect, but from my eyes and my perspective, it is a masterpiece. It is beautiful. It is something that I, I, I put my work into, and I, I put my energy into, and and I did have a little bit of help, so it's my masterpiece and my father-in-law's masterpiece together, but when I look at it, it is something that I cherish, that I crafted beautifully with my own hands. You know, Paul notes in Ephesians chapter two, verse 15, Paul notes that this new people that he created, he, he brought together Jew and Gentile, this new people he created, it is God's handiwork. Another translation says that we are his masterpiece. We are his workmanship. This new creation, the joining together of Jews and Gentiles into one new group, it was the handiwork of God alone. And that is important for us to remember. Look at Ephesians 2, verse 15. This is what it says. He, speaking of Jesus, did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations, and he made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. The language is clear. Paul is driving home the point that your salvation, the creation of this new people, the bringing together of Jew and Gentile and offering peace was not something that the Jews did. It was not something that the Gentiles did. It was something that God did. God alone is the one who created in himself one new people from these two groups. In ancient Greek literature, the phrase, we are his workmanship, that phrase refers to what a person makes or what a person does. So when it says that, that we are God's workmanship, it is referring to the fact that we have been created or this new people has been created by who? By God and God alone. God in Christ Jesus created a new creation. This masterpiece, this new creation has only, and this is important, has only the imprint of God upon it. What do I mean by that? Let me just remind us of the change of status that occurs. A dead person, a spiritually dead person, cannot bring themselves back to life. If we are dead in our sins, we needed somebody else to step in and to give us spiritual life, and that person is Jesus. A condemned person and one who is in slavery cannot set themselves free. We need somebody else to step in and to remove the shackles from our bondage and set us free, and that person is Jesus Christ. So this masterpiece, this new creation that has been created in Christ Jesus, it has only the imprint of God upon it. So remember that salvation is totally and completely the work of God. My two favorite words or phrases in scripture, and I've said this now over the last couple of weeks, are the two words, but God or but now. 
We read in Ephesians chapter two, verse four, uh, before this, in in Ephesians two, verses one through three, it was talking about how we were dead in our sins, how we were condemned sinners, and, and how we were in slavery. And then it says in verse four, but God, who is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ Jesus from the dead. Let me take just a, a quick pastoral sidebar and say this, when you read scripture, and, and I don't know how you do it. Uh, I, I love to, and I know we have scripture available to us on our phones, on our iPads. I, I love to have you know, a hard copy. And I just realized as I was coming up here reading Ephesians 2 that I'm gonna have to do something soon because part of Ephesians is about ready to disappear uh, here, in my, here in my Bible. And that could be problematic if I'm reading through it. Um, but but if, you are, if you are one, you could do this however you want because on, on your phones, you have the ability to highlight verses and make notes and, and whatever you wanna do. But I would encourage, you when you're reading through scripture and you come across language like this where you see kind of this this contrasting or comparing that is going on that is something that is worth highlighting or circling because you know that there is something that that you know we used to be dead in our sins we used to be condemned sinners we used to be in slavery but God because he is rich in mercy and because of his uh, incredible love for us we have been set free that is something I would encourage you to do if you're like well where do I start how do I study the Bible, what can I do? That is something that I would highlight, underline, circle, you know, make note of. And it's two very simple words, but God, it doesn't seem that important, but it is incredibly important. And, and so just that, that is, that's free. That's not in my notes. That's extra. If you want to know how to go about Bible study, that's one of the things you can do. The other phrase is this, but now. Ephesians 2 verse 13, uh, he was talking about how, they, how the Gentiles used to be far off. And he says, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. And so the, sal- the work of salvation is God's work alone. God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus. John Calvin says this, You see then that this word create is enough to stop the mouths and put away the cackling of such as boast of having any merit. For when they say so, they presuppose that they were their own creators. Our salvation, listen, I'm driving this point home, but I want you to get it. Our salvation is totally and completely the work of God. Second point is this, and it's not gonna sound that much different, but bear with me. Our salvation is not contingent upon our works, but his work. That is important. Our salvation is not contingent upon our works, our efforts, but it is completely and fully contingent upon the work of Jesus Christ. Now, again, I may be driving this point to the ground, but it's foundational to the Christian faith and our purpose in life. So look at the phrase here. We are created, how? We are created in Christ Jesus. This new creation was not formed through our human effort, but instead it was formed through divine activity alone. We are created in Christ Jesus. Let's read it again in Ephesians 2, verses 14 through 18. Paul writes this. He says, For Christ himself has brought peace to us, 
he united Jews and Gentiles into one people. When in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups together as one body. Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and on our hostility toward each other, it was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. Notice in that language, nowhere in Paul's words does it say you or me or I or Paul or anybody else brought together this new creation. And it even ends with this. It all happened through what Christ has done for us. So Christ's work, his work that he accomplished at Calvary on the cross is what made possible this new creation and made possible our salvation. Earlier, Paul notes in Ephesians 2 that we are saved by God's grace, not of our own works. We're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. So Paul is making it clear, salvation is not contingent upon your works. It is contingent upon the work of Jesus Christ. We learned two weeks ago, this grace is completely undeserved, but it is God's free gift to us. We do not deserve And I want you to hear this this morning. None of us in this room, no human being, no follower of Christ deserves the grace of God, but because he loves us, he freely gave us his grace. Ephesians 2 verse 8 again, God saved you by his grace and when you believed, and you can't take credit for this, it is a gift from God. This is by far, we are moving into the Advent season where we are going to be opening presents. We're going to be opening gifts and we're going to talk about, you know, we're going to ask our kids, hey, what was your favorite gift? What did you enjoy the most? But I want to remind us this morning, the greatest gift that we have received that we could ever receive is the gift of Jesus Christ that was given to all of humanity. And we, right from the beginning of John's gospel, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. John 1:14, the word became flesh and he lived or tabernacled among us. Folks, we cannot miss the fact that that is the greatest gift that you and I could ever receive, the gift of Jesus Christ, his presence with us. And so we need to keep that in mind even as we move into uh, this season of thanksgiving and celebrating the advent of Christ. Now our work, keep this in mind, our work, our effort will always fall short and is never enough to earn our salvation. I don't care how good of a person you are. I don't care how much Uh, you give in the offering or how often you attend, or I I mean, I do care about those things, but but none of those things, that, that sounded bad coming from up here, but I do care about those things. But when it comes to our salvation, none of those things matter. It's not about our work. It is about his work. We, our work will fall short when it comes to earning our salvation. Here's the reality. Sin separated humanity from God all the way back in the garden. Sin could only be atoned for through a perfect, sinless, spotless sacrifice. And the perfect human is not some person sitting in this room. The perfect human, the all-sufficient sacrifice, and the only one capable of dealing with the sin problem is Jesus Christ himself. 
He became, he became the sacrifice that was needed to atone for the sins of humanity. That's why in John, he'll say when Jesus is coming, look, the Lamb of God, who does what? Who takes away the sins of the world. And so Jesus was indeed, if you read the book of Hebrews, Hebrews is all about how Jesus himself, he is the better sacrifice. He is, he is the, the, um, the better priest. Jesus uh, is the better covenant. And so if you read in Hebrews, we see that Jesus is the all-sufficient one who atoned for our sins. So though our work and our effort is not enough to deal with the sin problem and earn our salvation, listen, the work of Jesus was and is enough and it is sufficient. So we don't have to walk away today thinking, man, even if I'm here every week and even if I you know, do everything right, there's no way I can earn salvation. Well, we're not trying to earn salvation. The work of Jesus Christ is and was enough so that we could receive what he did for us. In this sermon, Johnny V. Miller's sermon, The Great Rescue, he told this story. He said, when I was a teenager, I became fascinated, appalled, and grieved by the literature of the Holocaust. One scene that haunts me is a picture from Auschwitz. Above the entryway to the concentration camp were the words, and I know I'm gonna botch these, but arbeit mocked fry. The same thing stood above the camp at Dachau, and it means work makes free. Work will liberate you and give you freedom. It was a lie, a false hope. The Nazis made the people believe hard work would equal liberation. But the promised liberation was horrifying suffering and even death. Arbiet Mach Fry, one reason that phrase haunts me is because it is the spiritual lie of this age. It is a satanic lie. It is a religious lie. It is a false hope, an impossible dream for many people in the world. They believe their good works will be great enough to outweigh their bad works, allowing them to stand before God in eternity and say, you owe me the right to enter into your heaven. It is the hope of every false religion, arbeit mocked fry. But it is the love of God that liberates. It is the blood of Jesus Christ that liberates. He died in my place, and because of his death, we are free. It's not about our works. It is all about the work of Jesus Christ. So here's the reality. My simple yes to Jesus my confidence in the work of Jesus Christ that he accomplished on the cross over 2,000 years ago and not my own work is all that is required to receive this beautiful salvation. Romans 10, verses nine through 13, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. It is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It has nothing to do with your work, your efforts, my work, my effort. But it has everything to do with the work of Jesus Christ. And for that... I am grateful. Now, I've driven that point home. Salvation is totally the work of God. It is not contingent upon our works. But what do we do with Ephesians chapter two, verse 10? We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. What do we do with James' statement where he says, faith without works 
is dead. So where do works come into play? If works cannot earn me a place in heaven in eternity with God, then where do works come into play? And so for the remainder of our time together, I wanna talk about that. Number three, our salvation, though not contingent on our human efforts, it will produce and will result in good works that should and will flow from our lives. Look at this. For we are God's workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus through the work of Christ for the purpose of what? For or to do good works. Now, we are not saved. Get this. This is important. We are not saved by our works. I made that point. But we are saved for good works. That is purpose language. We're not saved by our good works, but we are saved for the purpose of doing good works. The good works, listen, are not the means of our salvation, but they are the consequences. They are the evidence of our salvation. Recall when we talked about in the first week how there is this change of status. Remember that the evidence of the old life sounded like this. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 2. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world. Uh, Some translations will say you walked in your trespasses and in your sins. So the evidence for the old life was walking or living in sin and in your trespasses. But the evidence for this new life that has been created in Christ Jesus, the evidence of this new life, is walking in or living our life doing good works. We are his workmanship. We are his masterpiece created, how? Through Christ Jesus or in Christ Jesus for the purpose of doing good works. Now, I want you to see this. If we eliminate verse 10, without verse, and I'm not doing that, and I'm not proposing we do that. If we were to eliminate verse 10 from Ephesians 2, it would appear that a Christian can simply receive God's free gift of grace and have the assurance of heaven, but in the meantime, continue to live like they used to, walking in trespasses and sins. If we eliminate Paul's statement that we are his workmanship and we are created in Christ Jesus for the purpose of doing good works, if you take that out of of, of Paul's language, it's gonna look like that you and I, because of what God did at Calvary, we can receive salvation and we can spend eternity in his presence, but in the meantime, I can continue to live how I used to live. But this statement in Ephesians uh, chapter two, verse 10, Paul's saying, no, now that you've received salvation, Now that you are in Christ, now that you are a part of this new creation, your your life should look different. The evidence of this spiritual life should look different than how it used to look when you walked in uh, your sins and in your trespasses. And he's saying, what's the evidence of this new spiritual life? The evidence of this new life is that we are created in Christ Jesus. We're his masterpiece. We are his workmanship. And we are created for the purpose of doing good work works. Jesus will even say they will know me or, or they will know my, my, my disciples um, by how they act or by their love for one another. And, and so there should be fruit that comes out of uh, our life that reflects the character in the person of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.10 gives us this new sense of purpose, that we are his workmanship. We are his masterpiece. He created us in Christ Jesus for the purpose of doing good works. 
God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for that very purpose. I'm not gonna read and I'm gonna skip over it, but, but if you're a note taker, you may jot down Titus chapter three, verses five through eight, because Paul will use similar language to talk about, um, again, how our good work should be an outflow of our relationship with Jesus. Christians, those of us in this room who have said yes to Jesus, we have a unique God-ordained purpose. And that purpose is to glorify God, to make Christ known in the world. And how do we do that? We do that through our lives, through how we live, through what we say, through how we interact with others. When we live our lives, this is important, when we live our lives doing these good works, guess what happens? Christ is revealed through us. And when Christ is revealed through our good works, then we are faithfully living out our purpose in life. And so if we're asking the question, what is my purpose? Why do I exist? What am I supposed to do? Well, our purpose as followers of Christ is to glorify God. It's to make Jesus Christ known. So if I am revealing Christ, if I'm living out these good works, then guess what? As a follower of Christ, then Christ is being revealed to my neighbors and, and to my community and to my coworkers and to my peers at school. Christ is being revealed if I'm living out these good works. And when Christ is revealed through my good works, then I am faithfully and obediently living out my purpose in life. Which then leads me to this final point. Our salvation then, our salvation that is totally and completely contingent upon the work of Jesus Christ and not my own works. Our salvation must be lived out with intentionality and with purpose. Recall, again, we are saved for the purpose of glorifying God through our good works. These good works reveal the person and presence of Jesus. So we need to be intentional in living in this new way. We have gone from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive. We have gone from being condemned sinners to sinners saved by grace. We have gone from being in slavery, slaves to sin, to slaves to righteousness. And so as a result of that change, that spiritual change, that status change, our life should look different. If I'm now spiritually alive, I should not be walking in my trespasses and sins. If I'm now a sinner who's been saved by grace, I should not intentionally and purposely be living a life of sin. There is a change that must happen, but we have to be intentional and purposeful about living out the salvation that you and I have received in and through the person of Jesus Christ. There are a lot of people who have said yes to Jesus, but their life still reflects the patterns of the old life. Their life is still fruitless and chaotic, confused and dead. Consider what James says, faith without works, it's dead, it's useless. James, James wasn't saying that, that works was necessary to receive salvation. He was saying that as a saved person, a person who has experienced the changing, transforming presence of Jesus Christ, a byproduct of your salvation should be good works. We should be living out our purpose. We should be reflecting the character of Jesus Christ. So here's the question that I want us to answer. How can we live 
our lives with intentionality and purpose as people who have said yes to Jesus so that Christ is revealed and so God's kingdom continues to grow. That's a question I wanna make sure that I get right. How can I live my life with intentionality, with purpose, as somebody who has already said yes to Jesus so that in my life, in my living, in my conversations, in my behavior, at work, at school, wherever it is, so that Christ is revealed through me and so that God's kingdom continues to grow. So how do we, how do, we do that? How do we live our lives with intentionality? I wanna provide you with some very practical, and if you are a note taker, this is something, the next few things are some things I would encourage you to write down and continue to think about. Number one, as yes people, the more time we purposefully spend in God's presence, the more that we will naturally look like and reflect the character of Christ. Think about this for just a minute. If you have kids or grandkids, the more time that your children hang out with you, spend time with you, the more they start to pick up on some of your unique, I'll say unique, uh, traits, tendencies, and behaviors. It's true, isn't it? I, I think about my kids, the more that, that, that Eden and Iris and Amos and Olive hang out with me or, or hang out with Sarah, the more that we see in our children some of our own personalities that start to naturally come out of them, whether it's good or bad. There are some things I have to go to Eden and say, Eden, I, I'm sorry, this is an area of the flesh and, and, and you know, don't reflect me in that area, all right? Um, you know, the impatience or the stubbornness, whatever it is, you know, that can't, that can't come out of you, daughter. And so, uh, but the, the same is true when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. The more time that we read scripture, which is God's revelation of himself to us, the more that we commune and fellowship with him in prayer, the more that we encounter him in worship, whether it be in a service on Sunday morning or in your car or while you're doing chores and you have music in your ears and you're worshiping, the more that we start to look like Jesus. I can promise you it's not some, some difficult, some complex principle. The more time that we spend in God's presence, the more that we will naturally reflect his character. It is true. And I promise you, put it to the test and see. The more that you open up the pages of scripture and read the revelation of God uh, uh, of himself to us, and the more time you spend in prayer, I can promise you that your attitude will change. Your, uh, your interaction with others will change. How you respond to difficult situations will change. The more you spend time in his presence, the more you will naturally reflect the character of Christ. Our environment will impact our behavior. So my question is this, is your environment flooded with time in God's presence? So here's action step number one. Again, if you're a note taker, I would write this down. Let's be more intentional in making sure that time in God's presence becomes a top priority in my life. This goes all the way back to, am I saying yes to a lot of other things? And then at the very end of all of my other yeses, trying to somehow squeeze my yes to Christ into my already busy schedule in life. Folks, we need to reverse that. We've said yes to Jesus. Make time for him. Make room for him. Spend time in his presence. And, and then see how everything else will fit into the mix. Number two, as yes people, 
we need to make ourselves more available to say yes to kingdom things before we offer up our yes to worldly things. This goes back to the reality again that we say yes to a lot of things, but always know that my yes to the one thing may very well be keeping me from saying yes to the best thing. Every time we say yes to one thing, by nature, we, we don't have an, un, uh, an unlimited amount of time. Uh, I think we all know that. If there's anything, if I were to ask you a question, what do you, what do you wish you could have more of? Some of us would say, I wish I had more time. Uh, I mean, some of you this morning were like, man, I wish I had 15 more minutes to get to church and, and get ready. And, and, and that's just the reality we live in. And so when we say yes to one thing, we're by, by default saying no to something else. And so we need to ask ourselves as yes people, people who've said yes to Christ, I need to make certain that I'm making myself more available to say yes to kingdom things, things that will reflect the character of Christ and make him known and things that will grow the kingdom of God. These good works may not flow as naturally if we aren't leaving room for these works to take place in our life. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. But if we don't leave room in our schedules, in our lives, for these good works to flow in and through us, then they may not naturally be a result of our salvation. Action step number two then is this. We need to evaluate our life and all the things that we have said yes to and start reconsidering how we can make room for more kingdom yeses. I, I challenge you, I'm gonna do the same. And, and, and folks, we're, we're approaching a new year. This seems like a natural time to do it anyways. Um, as we, we get up on the new year, we, we start looking at our schedules. We look at 2024. What can I do differently? How can I follow Christ better? I, I would encourage you as you lead up to the new year to start evaluating your schedule in your life and asking, how can I work my schedule around, my life around, so that I can say yes to more kingdom things so that Christ can be known and so that his kingdom can grow. And then put God to the test on that and see how then other things begin to fill in to the gaps. Number three, almost done. As yes people, we need to adopt the service mentality of Christ who came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. That was the mentality of Christ. He came not to be served, but he came to give his life to serve others, serving the kingdom of God. Listen to this. Probably should have put this one up here, but I would encourage you to write this down. Serving the kingdom of God is not a matter of should I, but how can I? Serving the kingdom of God is not a matter of, of should I? Is this something I should do? No, it's a matter of how can I? What am I saying yes to over here that, that isn't making a kingdom difference and if I put that aside, it allows me, it gives me more room to say yes to this over here so that I can be more faithful for the kingdom of God. Let me give you a few ways that we can even put that into play. The local church is one of the places that God expects his people to serve. 
um, where we are to use our gifts for the kingdom of God, to edify the body and to encourage one another, but also to serve uh, even our community, serving inside the local church. I promise you, Ken, and well, many of you, we, we, we recognize several of our volunteers last week and, and several of our teen volunteers who are serving on a regular basis. Again, we have 15 teenagers and four elementary students who are serving out of the 80 total. So about 25% of our, of our serving uh, group of people are made up of those who are 18 and younger. And I can promise you when you serve, when you use your gifts, when you step in and do something for the kingdom of God, it will bring you joy, but it will also allow you to make Christ known and it allows you to advance the kingdom of God. Serving inside the local church will bring you that sense of joy, gives you an opportunity, you and me, to be obedient to God. It allows the body of Christ to function in a healthy manner and is instrumental in advancing the work of the kingdom. If none of us served and none of us used our gifts, it would be like having uh, the head and no body. And, and we know that, that in order for um, an arm to work, it has to be attached to the body. In order for a foot to work, it has to be attached to the body. And so when we bring our gifts together and we serve, not only does it bring us joy, but it brings health to the body of Christ and allows us to further the kingdom of God. Let me just encourage you as your pastor to find a way, whether it's inside or even outside the church or whatever capacity, uh, to find a way to serve. Everyone has a place and everyone has a role. Everyone can serve in a different capacity, whether it's serving on Sunday morning, uh, ushering or greeting or working with our kids or up here on the worship team or sending cards throughout the week or helping with community events, whatever it be. We all have a place that we can serve and we need to fill a need and do it with joy. And I would encourage you, maybe you don't presently serve here and if you'd like to, we'd love to help you get connected. And then community engagement is another place. God wants us to use our gifts to serve his kingdom. Paul said in Ephesians 3, verse 7, by God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege, the joy of serving him by spreading the good news. And Paul is writing this while he's in prison. And he said, I've been given the privilege, the joy of spreading the good news. Later, Paul will talk about how it's a joy for him to suffer, suffer for Christ. Because as he suffers for Christ, the kingdom of God is expanding and growing. As yes people, two more, as yes people, we need to ask God daily to put us in positions to be used for his kingdom. And then learn to see what looks like an interruption to our schedule as an opportunity to serve another. We need to ask God every single day. God put me in a position, put me in a place for me to be used for your kingdom. And then when you have this supposed interruption to your day, don't view it as an interruption. View, as, view it as an opportunity for you to be used for the kingdom of God. Let me just, let me say this. When we pray that prayer, Lord, give me an opportunity to serve you this very day. Do not be surprised when your schedule gets interrupted. Do not be angry when your schedule gets interrupted. Why? Because you asked for it, you prayed for it. God's gonna honor that prayer. Don't view it as an interruption. 
And, and I'll be the first to tell you, I mean, when if you are a task-oriented, checklist kind of person and you have things that you have to get done for the day, I can tell you right now, because I'm one of those people, it's gonna be hard to see that as an opportunity to serve instead as an interruption because you have your day set, you have your week set, set you have your schedule in front of you and you're gonna wanna get A, B, and C done. And if something happens that's gonna keep you from getting anything done, it's gonna be hard. But I wanna encourage you, and I'm preaching to myself right now, I wanna encourage you, Kyle, I wanna encourage you to make certain that when you pray that prayer, you view it as an opportunity to serve the kingdom of God. I can promise you that will not be a wasted opportunity and God will answer that prayer. Action step number four then is start making this a daily part of your prayer routine and then begin to share with others how God used you to serve his kingdom. Make that only if you're ready for that prayer to be answered. Make that part of your daily prayer. God, give me an opportunity to be used for your kingdom today and then be ready. Your schedule will be interrupted, but I can promise you it will be a worthwhile interruption. God will honor that prayer. Finally, number five, and would you stand with me this morning? As yes people, remind yourself daily that we have been and we are saved not for bragging rights, not for some special status, but we have been saved for the purpose of making Christ known through the very good works we should be doing. And I tell you what, I don't know how it works for you. I'm somebody that if I need to be reminded of something, I either have to write it down and put it where I'm gonna see it. And if that's you, do that. Or maybe if you have your cell phone or device on you at all times, you can set a reminder that goes off every single day, an alarm that goes off that can be an opportunity for you to remind yourself, I'm not saved for bragging rights. I'm not saved for some special status. I've been saved for good works and to reveal the character of Christ and to make him known, to glorify him. So find a way to remind yourself of that daily. And as the final action step, then I would encourage you to do this. Memorize Ephesians 2.10, if you don't already have it memorized. For we are God's workmanship. We are his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for the purpose of doing good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Memorize it. Quote it every day when that alarm goes off, when you look at that, that sticky note that says, I am saved for the purpose of doing good works. I am saved for the purpose of glorifying Christ. I am saved for the purpose of advancing the kingdom of God. Remind yourself of that daily. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? We are not saved for the purpose of simply sitting back and watching others do the work of God. We are his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for the purpose of glorifying him through the doing of good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. So my challenge, very simple challenge, for every person, myself included in this room. Let's be doers 
Let's not just be sitters and sit back and wait for somebody else to fill the gap or to fill the need or to step in. Let's be doers. Let's be obedient. We have a purpose. I know each individual is gonna have maybe a unique calling in their life, but your overarching purpose is very clear in scripture. It's to glorify God. It's to make Christ known. One of the ways that we make Christ known is through doing good works that reveal the character of Christ and advance his kingdom.